0: Welcome to Wisdom in the Word podcast, the show that not only answers your questions from God's Word, but equips believers with the foundational truths for their faith. We're excited that you've taken time to join us and hope that today's content is valuable to you. In today's episode, Pastor Wiley answers a listener's question from the Bible. Welcome to the Thoughtful Thursday broadcast of Wisdom in the Word. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and I hope that if you are joining us on Facebook or on YouTube that you'll sign in. Let us know that you're watching, even if you're watching later. Let us know. Uh, We also hope that you'll share this out with your uh, friends and other people that you know to try and help them in their Christian walk, as on Thursday we answer the questions of our listeners, and so we'll be doing that here in a moment. We hope that you'll grab your Bibles and uh, walk Along with us as we study uh, and answer some of these questions. Additionally, uh, we are, as um, believers today, uh, as uh, in our church, we're getting ready for some events. Ladies' Conference is uh, right about a week away, and uh, we are getting closer. Uh, and a lot of work needs to be done eight o'clock on Saturday, guys. We'll be getting together for a men's work morning. Um, hopefully an hour or two, we'll be able to be here and get some things accomplished uh, on property to uh, get things ready for our ladies as they prepare to descend next week. And we hope that you'll join us uh, with uh, some help on that. We are, uh, again, going to be needing some um, some you know f- uh, tools and equipment, be able to clean out some weeds. And uh, so if you have something like that, you can throw in the back of your truck. Um, if you are uh, able to bring you know, a wheelbarrow and a uh, shovel and some rakes, I think that would also be help as we're going to be trying to be spreading some dirt and uh, getting some things uh, flattened out on uh, our parking area. I'll be doing some pressure washing, some trimming some trees. So any of that uh, would be helpful if you have it. Uh, please bring it along. We'll give everybody just a second here um, as we get ready to get started. I'm going to be uh, jumping into um, the Bible here in just a moment, or at least into our first question, which is more of a practical question here today. Uh, Both of our questions are a little historical uh, today, so don't get hysterical about them being historical. Um, Anyway, let's give just a second here and we'll get things started here on Thoughtful Thursday. welcome to the thoughtful Thursday broadcast of wisdom and the word today. We are answering questions from our listeners and we are glad that you are joining us. And so we welcome you to today's broadcast. Please be sure to make sure that you subscribe and share out, uh, the information that you're getting here. If you find it to be a help and a blessing, please let other people know, uh, so that we might continue to answer questions that are posed by our listeners. Here's our first question today on our thoughtful Thursday broadcast. Um, Here's the question. Why do we have a Christian flag? It seems like only church children learn about it. Coming to Christ as an adult, the Christian flag has never been taught in any discipleship program or even discussed in any manner. The only time it appears to come into play is when kids are reciting it or when the Pledge of Allegiance is said, then the Christian pledge, flag pledge will be said as well. So why do we pay tribute to a flag and display it in our church. What is the Christian flag? Well, it's a good question. We don't talk about it. Uh, we don't. Uh, there's really no messages about it. We don't talk about it very much. I'm sure most people uh, are unaware of the history of the Christian flag and uh, of its significance. And so we're going to try and answer that question a little bit today. Uh, we got to go back a little bit in history. In fact, we got to go back um, 125 years uh, back into 1897. The Christian flag dates back to an impromptu speech that was given by Charles Overton, who was a Sunday school superintendent in New York. The date was September 26, 1897. And uh, Mr. Overton, um, as was the superintendent and they had a guest speaker for the Sunday school kickoff and the the guest speaker didn't show up. And so uh, they were planning, of course they had problems with uh, promptness back then as well. And so Overton who was Sunday school superintendent had to kind of wing it and give a speech and spying an American flag near the podium. He started talking about flags and their symbolism. Now it probably would have been better if we had a, a little Bible lesson, but this was the first thing on Overton's mind. And so he pointed to the flag, and he started talking about a flag symbolism. Along the way, he proposed that Christians should have their own flag, an idea that stayed on his mind long after the speech. He just It just kind of got in there. I don't know if an idea ever stuck in your in your mind. Uh, there's been ideas that have stuck in mind. And in 1907, 10 years later, Overton teamed up with Ralph Diffen, Diffendorfer, secretary to the Methodist Young People's Missionary Movement to produce and promote the flag. And so um, they created the flag, um, they promoted the flag, and it began to gain popularity. Now, the colors on the flag, not surprisingly, match those on the American flag, red, white, and blue. White in the Christian flag represents purity and peace. Blue indicates fidelity, faithfulness, Red stands for Christ's blood sacrifice. So, again, same colors, but different symbolism, as most flags have some semblance of symbolism. Now, in 1903, uh, Fanny Crosby uh, eulogized the Christian flag and what it meant. And uh, she wrote a song called The Christian Flag, Behold It. And Fanny said this. "This was These were the words of a song. The Christian flag, behold it, and hail it with a song. And let the voice of millions, the joyful strain, prolong, to every clime and, na- and nation, we send it forth today. God speed its glorious mission, with earnest hearts we pray. The Christian flag unfurl it that all the world may see, the blood-stained cross of Jesus, who died to make us free. And so, Fanny Crosby wrote a hymn, and that's not the full, the entirety of it, but that's a verse of that hymn. So, why do we have it? What, what's the purpose of it? Well, let me say this. There's nothing sinful about displaying a Christian flag or reciting a pledge to it. Um, given that the Christian flag and its pledge are designed to, to honor the Lord Jesus, having the flag in a church or a school can be a reminder um, a wonderful reminder of Christ and our commitment to him, um, of purity, of fidelity, of the blood sacrifice of Christ. And that's what we should see when we look at it. That's how we should view it. Um, and again, the Christian's flag emphasis is on the cross. Um, and we do, we display symbols. Um, we use an actual cross as a symbol. Um perhaps we should use an empty tomb. For years uh, in history, they used a fish to uh, designate those that were Christ's. Um, we use a flag, a flag. It's just a symbol. It's a symbol. And uh, we have it because it's a symbol. Now, the, the the Bible teaches us that God reconciled the world through himself, things in heaven and things in earth, and he made peace through the blood of the cross Colossians 1.20 states that he's made peace by the blood of the cross, and so the Christian flag's emphasis is biblical because it 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 emphasizes Christ, and that's what God's emphasis is in the Word of God. So it's it's a it's a good Christian symbol. The next question: So I don't believe it's sinful. I don't believe it's wrong. The question is, uh, is it required? Well, you know, as every symbol. Um, The Bible nowhere advises us to make Christian flags or gives us wording for a pledge. So you're not going to look in the Bible and find the Christian flag. You're not going to look in the Bible and you're not going to find the pledge to the Christian flag. You're just not going to find it. Now, the Christian flag is a man-made symbol. All right. It's a man-made symbol. It's a man-made design. Uh, displaying it or pledging allegiance to it is a matter of conscience. It's not required of a Christian that you do so. I don't find it sinful. I don't know why anyone would not pledge allegiance to the Christian flag, considering what it signifies and what the, the pledge to the Christian flag, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. One Savior Crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty to all who believe. I I don't find anything um, questionable or difficult about the Christian flag. However... Uh, if you chose not to do it, said, I'm not pledging allegiance to anything besides the Christ, and and I just don't feel like uh, conscience, uh, then certainly you're free to be able to do that. Some churches are, choose not to display flags. They choose not to display the American flag or the Christian flag, and while we do uh, in our church, I think it's important to recognize some of these things are matters of, of conscience. They're matters of preference. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the Christian flag. In fact, it's been a symbol uh, in our country and a symbol of uh, Christianity for um, 120 years now. And so I, I think it's, it's really good to be able to have some of these symbols to retain them. Uh, is it traditional? Yes. But again, remember, not all traditions are bad. Okay. We're not anti-tradition. Some traditions are good. In fact, some traditions are, are good and can be honored. And I think it's good to honor some traditions. So that's some thoughts there on the Christian flag. Our second question today deals with the matter of creeds. Of creeds, um, and this question is: Do creeds have a place in today's Christianity, or what role, if any, do creeds play? Do they play? Um, the our listener writes this. Here is one definition found on creeds: What is a Christian creed? A Christian creed is a series of defining statements that express the core beliefs of Christians. They are objective truths that all Christians believe. Originally. New Christians would study to develop their own creed based on what they had learned about their new faith. However, over time, several specific creeds came to prominence and were used by many people as a confession of faith prior to being baptized. Today, these creeds remain as a declarations or as declarations of faith for Christians around the world. So, the question goes: Would creeds and doctrines run along the same line? The two main creeds I have heard about. Are the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed? Well, this is an excellent question. Um, it's a question that's rooted in history, and we're going to try and answer it a little bit historically uh, on this. And some of the things that are stated here are very true, but I feel like sometimes can be misleading if we don't stop and be discerning. So let's talk about this uh, a little bit. Let's talk about um, Baptists um, as a general rule. Um, as a as a Baptist, we are not anti-credal. We're just non-credal. That is, we're not against creeds. We're not against people declaring what they what they believe, or formulating a statement to be able to declare what they believe. We just don't have one that we generally, that everyone together agrees upon that we hold to. And we say, well, that's my creed. You want to know what I believe? It's right there. Because when we look at it, we're non creedal because we say, listen, everything I believe is in the Bible. I believe the Bible. And I understand that that's very ambiguous. And sometimes that lends itself to being able to be in a variety of different positions And there's a lot of people that say, well, I believe the Bible, but they still arrive at a variety of different doctrinal positions. And so uh, understand that we talk about uh, creeds. We're not anti-credo. We're not against having a creed. We're just non-credo. We don't use them because we say everything that we believe, everything that we hold to is found in the Bible. You know, many traditions over the course of time have had creeds and confessions. Um, if you go back um, in, in in history, you can find um, confessions from all different types of groups. Uh, Arminians have had confessions, Reformed and Calvinistic people have had traditions and confessions. Even Baptists have had confessions. Baptists have had some confessions as well. Going back into the 1600s, we can find some Baptist confessions. Um, Thomas Helwes had a declaration of faith in 1611. And then in In 1644, we had the first London Baptist Confession, which is a very important confession that goes back um, and was written again in London, England, uh, and it was the first London Baptist Confession. A lot of our history as Baptists um, go back and what we can trace as far as like writings and things like that go back into uh, Europe um and over the course of time there have been multiple confessions um and just a short quick uh google search will find many baptist confessions um uh there're baptist confessions of 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 denominations they are baptist confessions of of certain groups of people um you go into the uh late 1600s you have the second london baptist confession uh you also have in the 1700s uh, Confession like the Sandy Creek Confession. the Sandy Creek Association was very important and very influential uh, in the founding of our country um, and so you know when you go back um, into seventeen seventy six um, back in um, Thomas Jefferson had a relationship with the Sandy Creek Baptists and Sandy Creek Baptist Association they had a cre- a confession they put out in seventeen fifty eight um, others have been have been produced uh, as we go through into the 1800s um, we 've got um, we've got multiple in the 1800s. I'm looking at a list here uh, of multiple ones. Uh, the, uh, 1878, the Articles of Faith of the Gospel, Standard Aid, and Poor Relief Societies. 1833, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. In the 1900s, there were uh, sev- several. Um, in 1925, the Southern Baptist Convention adopted what they call the Baptist Faith and Message. Baptist Faith and Message is a is a creed, is it basically a doctrinal statement um, for the Southern Baptist Convention. It was revised in 1963, and many Southern Baptist churches today will identify themselves with other churches, even within the convention, on the basis of if you agree with the Baptist Faith and Message of 19. Sixty-three. To them, many of them, that's the standard by which they hold. Um, the Westminster uh, had a confession; it was uh, reformed in its theology. But the Westminster had a confession of sixteen forty-six, and some of you have heard about that. Let's talk a little bit about the ones that were mentioned by our listener. We have two: the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Um, these are uh, again famous creeds, and I, I think it's important for us to to look at them. Uh, The Apostles' Creed, uh, supposedly, um, according to tradition, it was composed by the 12 apostles, but it actually developed from the early interrogations of the catechumens. Uh, The catechumens were persons receiving instruction in order to be baptized by the bishop. Now, uh, if you go back, you can look at the interrogations that they used. They were used in Rome about Uh, 200 has been preserved in the apostolic traditions of Hippolytus, Uh, the bishop would ask, dost thou believe in God the Father Almighty, and so forth, through the major Christian beliefs, and then they would state affirmatively, these statements became a creed, and such creeds were known as baptismal creeds. They were, before we baptize you, you must affirm that you believe such and such, and so the Apostles' Creed was not actually developed, um, by the twelve apostles, it became part of a again a rite of baptism. The Nicene Creed is interesting. Um, it was usually universally accepted that the Nicene Creed um, was actually uh, established in the early twentieth century. Um, excuse me. It was assumed until the early twentieth century that it was established at the Council of Nicaea around 325, but. It was further assumed that this enlargement has been carried out at the Council of Constantinople in 381 with the object of bringing the Creed of Nicaea up to date. So even this, uh, we're looking at, you know, basically 225 years after the uh, time of Christ, uh, the Council of Nicaea, the Council Council of Con- Constantinople, these councils would have been uh, basically, Catholic Roman Catholic councils that were convened, and some of these creeds came out of that to affirm uh, what they believed at that time. So it's possible that the Council of Nicaea wasn't really the Nicene Creed, or the Nicene Creed is not really the Nicene Creed. That rather it came out of the Council of Constantinople, or the, uh, rather than the Council of Nicaea. Regardless, um, it was also a baptismal creed. Now. You say, well, okay, so if they're just affirming what all Christians believe, why then don't we use some of them before we baptize, before we do it? Well, because when you read the creeds, if you read them carefully, um, you when you recite these creeds, you tie yourself to false doctrine statements. And so statements that we do not believe that the Bible teaches. Uh, for example, when you look at, let's just use the Apostles' Creed for a moment, um, when we read the latter part of it, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of body and life everlasting. Amen. Now, again, the word Catholic here it doesn't have anything to do with the actual Catholic. Catholic church in the sense that uh, it was referring to Roman Catholicism. Catholic by uh, definition um, is, it, it does not mean uh, what we often associate it with. Uh, we associate it with the denomination, but really the concept of Catholic means including a wide variety of things, all embracing. Okay. So, what it's saying, you know, we believe in the Catholic church, we're believing the all embracing church. But once again, you know, these things remain ambiguous. Um, and you look at it and you're like, okay, I'm not sure that this is exactly what I believe. Um, and and you look at it, for example, we have that, those statements in the, uh, uh, in the apostles creed, you look at the Nicene creed, uh, you've got multiple things that, uh, you look at, you say, first off, um, that when you're reading it, um, you see I believe in one holy Catholic and a apostolic church. Notice I confess, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And again, this, the, sometimes the wording here is confusing. Um, and so, again, we're not opposed to creeds. We're not opposed to them, but sometimes... When you recite a creed or you say, I hold to this creed, you're identifying yourself. And if you're not careful, you're identifying yourself with false doctrine. But at the same time, we say this, every church has a creed. I mean, even our church has a creed. So what do you mean we have a creed? Well, we have a doctrinal statement. We call it our doctrinal statement or a statement of faith. And we attempt to put into writing the doctrine that we ascribe to in a doctrinal statement of faith. So we ascribe to a certain doctrine and we have a creed. Now, none of us have memorized that Okay, from our statement of faith. Why? Because that really is a microcosm of what we believe, because we believe the whole Bible, but it's kind of a, a summary of the things that we believe. So it can be a problem to be disassociated with any creed, because it opens the door to compromise and ecumenism. If you say, well, I don't need a creed. I just believe the Bible. Well, you might be opening yourself up to compromise if you don't have a doctrine or statement of faith. I mean, for my ordination, I had to create a, a statement of faith of what I believe, a doctrine. And that had to be approved by my peers. Uh, and, and, re- and I had to be reviewed and, and interrogated really on that in order to be ordained into the gospel ministry. And so, again, we're not against statements of faith, but sometimes when we tie ourselves to these historical creeds, we put ourselves in a position where we may not fully agree with them. But we have to have something that we believe. Now, again, doctrine should be clarified. What you believe, you should know what you believe. You should be able to state what you believe. You should be able to show what you believe according to the scriptures. Maybe you need your own doctrinal statement or statement of faith. Most Christians don't. They'll just say, oh, I believe that and I don't believe that. Oh, I believe that and I don't believe that. And that's not enough. That's not enough to be able to to help. Now, primarily, let me say this. We should be people of the book, people of the Bible. Uh, That should be our creed. And we should not need another one. Forced recitation of some confession is very restrictive and authoritarian. For somebody to say, you've got to recite this creed is, is, takes us back to, it reminds Baptists of the times when martyrs were made of those who refused to confess what Catholics or others imposed upon them. They would say, you have to recant of this doctrine and recant of this preaching, and you have to believe this doctrine. You have to hold to our creed. You have to hold to our dogma. And of course, we believe that conscience should be free and that men should be able to believe however they want to believe. That's not to say we shouldn't have doctrinal statements. That's not to say that confessions are wrong. That's not to say that we shouldn't confess and know what we confess and profess and that what we confess and profess should be from the Bible, that we should be people of the book. That's not to say that every creed is evil. We're not anti-credal. We're just non-credal people. We're people of the book, but you should know and understand what you believe. All of this has got to be considered and thought about with great care. And so there are some thoughts there about uh, the matter of creeds and um, and the history of them and and where we come. It's, 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 again, it's a much broader subject than we have time to deal with today, but I hope that that's been uh, a help to you and uh, we'll be able to uh, continue to help. If you have further questions, you can submit those and we'll try and delve into those. We hope that you've joined us. Uh, enjoyed joining us on this uh, Thoughtful Thursday episode of Wisdom in the Word. Uh, we hope that uh, these questions have been and help to help you as you walk in your Christian life. We look forward to seeing you on Tuesday in our continued study of the book of Hebrews as we'll be in Hebrews chapter number eight. Have a great day and God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wisdom in the Word podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to support us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this show on your favorite podcast app and sharing something you've learned on social media. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you next time on Wisdom in the Word.